his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning and welcome to Sunday Take. I'm Blois Olson, your host, and this is Sunday Take for March 26th, 2023. Once again, it is a week of fast paced at the legislature. And we're going to focus on the budget. Democrats came out with budget targets this week, and we're going to talk to Representative Liz Olson and Representative Pat Garofalo about those budget targets, what it means to state spending, and how they arrived or how they disagree with those targets. That and more on The Take here Sunday on News Talk 830 WCCO. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, Mom and Dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Listen up, I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes! Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. As I mentioned in the open, we are focused this week on the budget and the targets. And joining me now is Representative Liz Olson from Duluth. She is the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee for DFLers. And she had her hands and elbows and probably her brain tied up in kind of putting together the framework of the budget deal we saw this week. And I'm glad she joins me now. Representative Olson, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, boys. So just let's just start with the basics as legislators put together targets you have some house perspective there's obviously the governor's perspective the senate's perspective you were waiting for the february forecast how quickly either before that or after that did 
did the work begin on kind of these buckets of money, depending on what part of state government? We had roughly talked about some general timelines. The Speaker of the House, this is not her first time leading us through a budget right. process. And so she had the wherewithal to begin sort of laying out some ideas of timelines. And we knew after the February forecast came out, we'd, we'd want to get started sooner rather than later. So once we had a sense of what we'd be working with in terms of surplus numbers, uh, we really got to work and started to put together the the framework of the conversations and you know with the hope the the house has to have our budget target set uh, due to house rules so we would have had to have them set by the end of this week anyway and so we would have put out what we would have proposed for our spending but we'd really hope that we would also be able to not in, just have our own house numbers that later then have to go through you know, big changes that we would have some agreement and and we were able to do that. And it was a pretty big deal this week to have on Wednesday joint targets. And that was really largely in part because we got to work pretty much right after the February forecast came out. We've heard a lot about the surplus. Everybody has kind of a point of view on balancing spending versus tax relief. Uh as you look at this, we've also heard about how much one-time money we have versus ongoing revenue. Can you Are these targets aligned with what we've heard of? Do these committee chairs understand that, uh, you know, part of the money is one-time and part of it is, you know, as we say, Insiderville going in the tails? Yeah, so that that's a really great observation. You know, I think the number that everyone gets really hung up on is this, you know, 18 billion, 17 billion number, which is a lot of money and it is a surplus, but that is the money we have for 24, 25. So as you said, boys, in insider terms, our tails aren't as rosy. So we have what we, a pretty sizable amount of one-time money that is not ongoing. So what that means is, for example, if you're going to pay someone's wages and have an increase, you know, tied to COLA, um, you know, if your tails are less, you have less money to spend, you really can't do that. And so what you have to look at is, you know, are there opportunities to do one-time investments and things that aren't necessarily need to be ongoing? Of course, yes, there's room for some ongoing. We were able, there is still a surplus in the tails. It's just not as high as that 17 billion. It's, it's about 8 billion. And so it, it does present the chairs with a challenge, right? Of, of, of what do they do now? Um, you know, some of it can be ongoing, but they really have to be thinking creatively about what can be done now to have a major impact. Uh, and so that that is something we talked about. And so our joint targets do have both this, the, the 24-25 biennium, but the 26-27 biennium also included um, so that we are being really responsible. We're not just blowing through $17 billion and committing ourselves to funding things in the future um, or cutting taxes in the future in a way that's unsustainable. And so it's really a... Personally, from a ways and means perspective, I think a very good and thoughtful approach to how we handle the surplus now and what it means for the future. You bring up this biennium. Uh, you know, I think it's fair to say that, um, you know, between economic changes, between political changes and, you know, general interest groups uh, that ask for resources, look for resources, that, um once somebody gets one-time money, they don't necessarily always think of it as one-time money. You could tell them that over and over again, 
but the idea that they, they, they're going to come back in two years or four years and ask for, you know, more funding. And, and absent inflation and increased costs, which I always point out, apply to government and public programs and schools as well. Is there one-time money that you think makes a bigger, more important impact or catches somebody up faster in these budget targets than something out in the future as let's start something new, even if it is one-time money? Yeah, that's a great question, boys. And I think that's exactly the crux. So we just, you know, our chairs really just got their targets this week. On Wednesday, we adopted the budget resolution. So that is exactly the question I think they're all grappling with right now as they put together their budget. So I can't speak for them. I think that's we were cognizant of different areas of where it's easier to do that, you know, one-time funding and use it in a way that catches things up to speed, maybe isn't creating new things. And so we were intentional about some of those places, like you know, the, the housing space, uh, you know, has a billion dollars in, yep. in, in this first biennium. Um, and so I think I can't speak to every, but I think that is exactly what our chairs will be thinking about as they put together their omnibus bills. I'm talking to Representative Liz Olson. She's the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee. Uh, for the DFL and was instrumental in kind of shaping the budget targets that came out earlier this week and will really be, you know, I'll say the architecture with probably a few plan changes as we go forward uh, of the next budget. And those budget targets are $17.8 billion. They include $3 billion in tax relief. Representative Olson, just as we continue the, the conversation, so people understand and, you know, frankly, these are our positions that, um, you know, will be discussed. But as you know, not following the legislature and the budget process isn't always simple and easy. If you if you kind of take your chair hat off and you look at the needs of our communities or I'll take schools, for instance, I think that people acknowledge um, that, you know, schools have had a lot of challenges. There's some needs for some more money. But we also have schools that have, you know, massively declining enrollment. We have uh, performance issues. I, I don't want to mix policy and fiscal here, but how do you how do you talk about it amongst your chairs? And I want to say this too: you have a lot of new members who haven't been through this process before. What's your message to the new members uh, about how to kind of balance? what they want or what they've heard about or maybe their dream versus what's practical or pragmatic uh, in getting done this session. Yeah, that is really great. And something I do think about a lot because you don't want to just shoot money out of a confetti cannon and hope for outcomes, right? right? You you want to be clear about what are you going to move the needle on? Because even with a $17 billion surplus, you you can't do everything, right? And you have to think about like what impact you can you have? And I think you brought up a very good example, which is the declining enrollment, particularly in higher ed. And the chair in the House, Representative Pulowski, and I know the chair in the Senate as well, have been really thinking about this, but particularly in the House, of given their their budget target, how can they really be laser focused on 
on addressing declining enrollment within our higher ed institutions. And this is our, our community colleges. This is our universities. You know, this is across the state. But what can be done in this biennium with this amount of cash to really do that? And I think there's different approaches, right? And that's where the House and the Senate will, will have their, their places. They come together to try to figure that out. But I think that's a great example of when we were thinking about this budget is, you know, you you can't like even with this this budget target the higher ed committee got they can't do everything but i think there is clarity around there's this urgent need around declining enrollment and there is opportunity there with this surplus to do something about that and so again the details will get worked out as we go but i think there are certain places within our area whether it's both through the surplus or to your point through policy um that we can have have more of an impact in a very targeted way, I think that is a good way to be thinking about this rather than solving all of the problems of our state in one budget cycle or one, you know, policy omnibus bill. Higher ed had, just for the record here, a $650 million increase over, you know, its base, which comes out of the last budget. And we talked to Representative Pulowski last week on the Sunday Take, and he was very clear about um, expectations from higher ed institutions, um, this idea that they they may have shared enrollment data at different times and maybe one institution was a little slower than the other and now it's, quote, urgent, but yet the questions had been asked months ago. So if people want to listen to that, go to the Sunday Take page on WCCO Radio and they can hear the discussion specifically about higher ed. As we wrap here, I think this is where um, just whether you're a family, whether you're a business, you kind of look and you say, you, you create projections and revenue projections, you know, can be year over year. In your case, they can be biennium over biennium. It's one thing to put out a balanced budget and then this idea of tails or the future spending with obviously a lot of variables from the economy to tax collections, to population, to retirement, all those things. Any kind of pause about the idea that there is this surplus and that, you know, maybe it's four years from now, maybe it's six years from now, that it's just not a sustainable budget or that, you know, tax increases would have to come back or or some other, you know, way to figure this out. Any heartburn over that? I mean, to be honest, I thought a lot about that. And that was why we had to have honesty in the tales. Because uh, if we didn't balance that, I mean, that really, that exercise of getting to a balanced budget in the tales really tempered expectations about what's possible in ongoing revenue that would tie our hands in the future that would leave us in a really hard spot in four years and beyond. And so we've, we've, I feel like this budget is really responsible to that that exact question of what does four years from now, what does six years from now, we don't know. Um, we went through a global pandemic, what's going on with the banks? I mean, you just don't know. And so trying to really make sure we, you know, this is the first year we have, we're looking at inflation and thinking about the uh, the inflation number. We're, so we're, and we're, again, we're agreeing to these target tails in a way that like what you see is what you get. We're not taking from somebody somewhere to fill a hole. It's we are spending within our means and we are looking at a tax bill that's reflective of what we want to spend. Um, and so I do think 
of course there will be challenges. Of course, we can't predict the future, but I feel good about where we landed with our targets and um, being responsible for the, not just these two years, but the next four years. And then what that does beyond that. Final question is with so many new members in your caucus and, you know, arguably a little bit of a more progressive shift, especially about wanting to spend on social programs. Um, have they, are they going to learn more in the last, in the, in the last eight weeks of session, or did they learn it, uh, before you got to these targets? <laughs> I, I, well, boys, let's just say, you know, you'd think you could make everybody happy with what you put out <laughs> in the, but that tails, uh, you know, I think, I think people really woke up, um, once they were able to process this week, what, you know, all the roses and sunshine and rainbows of what it seems like really when rubber hits the road and we have to have a balanced budget. I think we, we did some eye opening this week, especially when we were, and again, I know this is all the wonky stuff, but probably people that listen to this are more of that, more of that bend anyway, but the tails part was really that exercise in reality of like where we're really at. And so I think that was the part um, that really woke a lot of people up. Sounds great. Representative Liz Olson, thanks for joining me on Sunday Tech. I really appreciate it, boys. When we come back, Representative Pat Garofalo with the Republican view on the House targets. I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Joining me now for the last guest segment here on Sunday Take is Representative Pat Garofalo. And we're going to talk about the budget targets from the Republican perspective. He's the lead Republican on the House Ways and Means Committee. And you just heard from Representative Liz Olson and how they came about the targets. Representative Garofalo, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Blaise. I appreciate you inviting me to be on. So um, 
let's just start with the process to get to targets with this kind of surplus, et cetera. Historically, how would leadership work through these things? You've watched this happen. Everybody's talking about how early it is, how, you know, how unprecedented it is. Is it that unprecedented or would it be easy if, if Republicans were in charge of all three branches, would this be possible too? Well, historically, there's been a diversity of ideology and a diversity of geography for those making the decisions. Uh, Historically, you've had different parties in control. You've had people from across different parts of our state. And so the target process would be an art of negotiation that would take weeks and towards the end of session. Uh, The difference this year is that uh, everybody in charge is liberal and from an urban area. So no surprise that when leadership got together, uh, they were able to align themselves quickly behind what is truly an unprecedented expansion of the size and scope of government in the state of Minnesota. Obviously, we heard throughout the election, uh, quote, fully fund education. We've heard needs from nursing homes, housing, everyone else. When you look at the numbers and the targets that they've put on, and we talked about this last segment about, you know, they've gone to 17.6 billion, which is 3 billion of uh, quote tax relief, but that this is above and beyond their current budget level in state government. Are there places you think dollars should go to make an impact or a way in which to spend surplus money, either one-time money or ongoing funds that, that would make an impact faster and, and help out in a certain area? Oh, absolutely. And I think the, the easiest example of that would be that I think the Democrats should pass the rebate bill that Tim Walls campaigned on. Before the election, Governor Walls campaigned on certain sized rebate checks to a certain number of people. Uh, that was a cornerstone of his re-election campaign. And then after the election, he, the Democrats changed their mind with sort of Lucy pulling the football away from Charlie Brown. And so that would be the easiest thing to do is that the Democrats would simply just pass the rebate bill that they campaigned on. Um, second of all, I think that in the area of uh, spending, before we go out and create new programs, we should make sure that we're funding the obligations that we've committed to previously. So The easy example of that is special education. Rather than going out and creating new programs and leaving the special education cross-subsidy out there, um, the Democrats should instead be funding special education, which they're deciding not to do. And when you say they're choosing not to fund special education, is that because of the number they've thrown out as their target or it's not possible because of the federal government? No, I mean, they're making a choice to spend the money on other things. So, for example, earlier this year, rather than funding special education, they created a new entitlement program so that every student, regardless of whether they could afford it or not, is going to get free breakfast and free lunch. Um, They've also committed to providing more generous pension benefits to retired teachers to the tune of $600 million. They've chosen to pass a multi-billion dollar capital investment bill when already we have problems with supply chain in terms of construction materials. So these are all choices they've made of spending money. I think they'd be better off by spending that money on rebate checks, by funding special education, but they've decided to create new entitlements for more generous pensions, for funding school lunches for wealthy families across the board. 
And that's the that's the policy choices they're going to live with. And the result of that is going to be, and we're already seeing this across school districts, you're going to see uh, cuts to schools and you're going to see uh, layoffs, and which is crazy in a time of an 18 billion dollar surplus. But that's the uh, you don't need to listen to me to hear that. Go talk to your local school board members and you'll see that's the case. You bring up an interesting point about uh, capital improvements, construction projects, things like that. There's a sense from the federal infrastructure bill that uh, a, you know, between supply chain and labor market that we can't spend that money fast enough that it's actually driving wage inflation and some other things. The state, you know, has this tradition of bonding. You can't argue that there are some infrastructure needs out there with, you know, certain communities that have, you know, aging infrastructure, things like that. Is there any data on what another, you know, billion and a half, two billion in construction projects would mean? And, and one thing is, has there ever been a timeline? So if you, if you bond for a project this year, when it, by what time it should get done? Because is there a potential that some of these things get delayed three or four or five years? I'll take your second question first, and that is that every project is different. There are some that are prepared, ready to go. They have bids lined up, and they could literally begin this year. There's other ones that will take years. The problem we have right now is there just aren't enough workers in Minnesota. There aren't enough people who want to go out and be employed. And there's a couple of factors for that. Number one is you know, it's no one's fault, but it's demographics. We got a lot of the baby boomers retiring at the same time. Second thing is, is that for whatever reason, more people are deciding they just don't want to work. It doesn't mean that they're lazy. It's that people are prioritizing their family over materialism. And then third and finally is that there are more people leaving the state of Minnesota than are moving to the state of Minnesota from other states. And those three things combined are constraining our labor supply. And so this, the federal government is already throwing billions of dollars at us through infrastructure and still COVID assistance bills. They're just simply, there's tons of vacancies in existing private sector and public sector openings that are in the job market. We just don't have enough workers. So even just committing the money to spend on this stuff, especially in the construction area, we have local units of government that are going out for bids today on projects and no one is responding. No one is coming back with any bids because not only are they booked up for this year, they're booked up for next year as well. When you start to think about, I heard you say it in committee uh, last week, which was, you know, our, our declining population. Um, the governor has laid out a, an idea that we will become an attractor of place for people to move because um, we'll quote, let teachers teach, or we'll pay them more, we'll give them more opportunity, and we'll invest in local law enforcement. Do you have any data on how that's worked? Is, is, that, is that a strategy that, you know, whether you agree with it or not, that, that could work? Well, the thing is, these ideas are not new. These are not Minnesota original ideas. They're copied cookie cutter from other states. So let's see how it worked in those other states. What's happening in California, Illinois, Oregon, New Jersey, New York? What's happening in those states that have implemented these policies that Tim Walls and the Democrats are championing? And the answer is they haven't worked. They've resulted in declining populations. They've resulted in accelerating the trend of money, people, and investment to other states. Uh, just yesterday, 
maybe you've uh, you've seen this, but uh, Kevin, um, individual from Shark Tank who is uh, on the yeah. Okay, I don't know if you saw his comments, but Kevin O'Leary uh, he listed Minnesota as one of the states he calls uninvestable. You just can't you you can't do th- and there's again there's multiple reasons for this, and I want to be clear. It's not like all these problems are caused by Minnesota policymakers. We have choices beyond what we're making based off of other international, national factors. So, for example, in 2017, when President Trump and the Republicans passed the Ambitious Tax Reform Act, they capped state and local tax deductions at 5000 per person. And that was a huge tax increase on upper income and wealthy families in Minnesota and other states with high income taxes. And that provided a significant financial incentive for people to leave our state. So, you know, you can't really blame Minnesota policymakers for that policy decision at the federal level. But what I can do is criticize policymakers for not making adjustments to that, not responding to that. And unfortunately, uh, the ideas that are being promoted by uh, Governor Walls and the Democrats, this is really just, um, you know, same, the side B of the same record. And we're continuing to see uh, that those failed policies accelerate a drive of people, investment, and money out of our state. My guest is Representative Pat Garofalo. He's the Republican lead on the House Ways and Means Committee. We're talking about the budget targets and what it means. Um, Going back to some comments I heard again earlier this year about sustainability. You know, a a certain amount of this budget is, quote, one-time money. Um, You know, Representative Olson says that Budget chairs are aware of that, those kinds of things. Can you help listeners understand the mentality of, quote, one-time money when it comes to the interest groups and the advocacy groups that ask for the money or lobby for the money? Well, there's nothing more permanent than a temporary government program. So just as, as a size and scope measurement, it's, it's important for your listeners to understand this, that the current budget we are in for the state of Minnesota is $51.6 billion dollars. That's a two-year budget for state government in Minnesota. The projected numbers the Democrats are putting out for their upcoming budget are $71.9 billion. So 51.6 versus 71.9. We're talking about a 40% increase in government spending. And as much as the Democrats would like to tell you this is one time and they recognize that this money is going to go away, they are building an infrastructure, they're building into our system uh, what I call deliberate destruction. And that is that they're creating future deficits, which of course will be necess- will necessitate uh, additional tax increases and continue the negative cycle that we've, we've seen in other states. So it is, uh, it is certainly by no debate unprecedented to have this level of an expansion of government spending in Minnesota. But uh, beyond that, while it's unprecedented, it's also completely unsustainable and it's going to result in a lot of pain in our state. Two areas of the budget that they highlight as their targets. Uh, one is a pretty common refrain is housing. They, you know, they've set aside a billion dollars for housing. Can you give a sense of how that gets distributed, what that gets driven for compared to the current housing budget or, or you know, even if it's not specific numbers, what you would expect if, if you were the chair and you spent a billion dollars on housing, what could Minnesotans expect? Well, it's important to understand that, and it's difficult for the advocates to accept this, but a shortage of resources is not the problem. When it comes to government, 
Minnesota Housing Finance already has in excess of a billion dollars in capital in their in their coffers. They have um, federal tools available for them to subsidize things. What you're seeing now is a market breakdown because of barriers to construction, barriers to remodeling, a construct a constriction of the labor force. These are all things that are uh, limiting the ability to develop and accelerate. I mean, look at the look at the Ford site, the former Ford Auto Plant in St. Paul. I think that closed 15 years ago. I mean, that should be wrapped up and done. And instead, we have entanglements like St. Paul rent control, limiting investment. Um, those sorts of things are what's causing a problem, and it's constricting the supply of housing. If we want more affordable housing in our state, it's a very simple answer: build more. We got to let builders build. We got to let homeowners buy homes, get the government out of the way, and we'll all be better off. But instead, we've got this sort of, um, you know, the the um, central planning Soviet style housing model that is just uh, choking off development and is resulting in higher costs and lower supplies for Minnesota residents. One of the issues I heard about statewide throughout the election campaign was the ch- cost of child care. Um, it, it is an issue that both parties agree has to be addressed. Are there things that, you know, from the reserves or, or looking at, you know, whether it's tax credits or, or helping people with the cost of child care that you think Minnesota should do? I think there's things that Minnesota can do. Um, but what we're seeing right now is that there's a big debate among around child care and preschool services whether we're going to have a model that is like the higher education model, model where both public and private institutions compete with each other for students, or if we're going to have a K-12 system where all public funding goes towards universal government-run programs. In the area of uh, preschools and daycare, the Democrats are clearly focused on, on wanting to take the K-12 model, the unionized government-run model, and having that stretch into preschool and into the daycare model. And that's where I think the struggle is. Ultimately, the market will supply a product and service at a price people are willing to pay. But the regulatory structure in Minnesota, the limitations that are put in place are just making it financially disadvantageous to do that. And so you're seeing more and more pressure and more and more movement deliberately to try to have these things run by the government. And that's, you know, I think we're going to end up with some uh, continued poor results and just demands for more and more spending. As we close here, uh, the next six to eight weeks, as you go through this process, is there any strategy you see that Republicans can have to have more say in these budget targets or the programs that are in them? You know, we live in place. We live in very polarized political times. Uh, there's more Republicans who are more extreme than they used to be. And there's a lot more Democrats who are more left-wing and extreme. And until people calm down, the only way you can get the left-wing and the right-wing uh, sort of to marginalize them is for them to cancel each other out. That's why we need divided government. Uh, unfortunately, the reason why we've got this left-wing freak show at the Capitol is because the Democrats are in total control of everything. So uh, the reality is we can keep offering suggestions, but the Democrats are not listening. Uh, as evidenced by the fact of a 40% increase uh, in their budget. So, um, you know, in a couple of years or at some point in the future, Republicans will be able to say, see, I told you so, but that's not going to be, that's not going to help out those Minnesotans who are going to see Minnesota continuing on the wrong path. And 
that's what I worry about. But gosh, I, if anyone has any ideas on how to get the Democrats to listen to more than their uh, left-wing base, please uh, email me your suggestions because uh, we sorely need them to start listening. Representative Garofalo, thanks for joining me on the Sunday Take. Thanks, boys. When we come back, the take this week and what's ahead as we get closer and closer to the Easter Passover break at the legislature. I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to the Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Tacovis is a terrific boot brand, and they're bringing a fresh perspective to heritage boot making. So they've carried forward all the time-honored traditions and quality you find in a great pair of cowboy boots. But they've innovated on comfort, style, and service. As someone who tries to pursue a minimalist lifestyle, I highly value quality over quantity. And I'm telling you, you can't find a higher quality boot than Tacovis. Their Western boots for men and women are handmade. Handmade from the most premium leathers with over 200 time-honored individual steps. Also, did I mention that they are Austin-designed, Texas-tested, and handmade down in the boot-making capital of the world, Leon, Mexico? And also, if you've ever wondered if you can pull off cowboy boots, which is something that I was thinking, you should pull on a pair of Tacovas and you'll see. Just do a quick search for Tacovas on social media and you'll see how adorably styled these boots can be. Visit tacovas.com, that's T E C O V A S.com, and point your toes west. Welcome back. This week's take is coming next. But first, the sustainability minute from Minnesota Corn. Last year, 2022, Minnesota sold more clean fuels powered by Minnesota corn farmers and Minnesota soybean farmers than any year before. Clean fuels are more accessible. They're more available throughout the state. And one of the reasons is, is because Minnesota Corn Research and Promotion Council invests in making sure that there's infrastructure. Last year, they invested a million dollars to make sure that the state had the infrastructure to deliver cleaner fuels to Minnesotans. That includes making sure that consumers, no matter where you live in the state, that you can have an access, access to it. And so Unlighted 88 hit record number of sales in 2022. In July, Minnesota surpassed 9 million gallons of monthly unleaded 88 sales. That's a cleaner burning fuel. That's better for the environment. And it's an economic boom for Minnesota corn farmers. Because after all, farming needs to be sustainable. It needs to not just be sustainable and good for the environment, which farmers care most about, because if 
the water's not clean and the soil's not healthy, they can't grow Minnesota corn. But when they can use it to keep our air cleaner and produce ethanol and unlanded 88 and make sure all of Minnesota can get it, that's a cycle of sustainability that is successful for Minnesota. That's right, a successful cycle of sustainability with Minnesota corn as the catalyst. So to learn more, go to mncorn.org, minnesotacorn.org. Learn more about clean fuels from Minnesota corn and where they're available across this state. I'm Blaise Olson, and that's the MN Corn Sustainability Minute. The take this week is really about how we're starting to see in more form and fashion the future of the state as constructed and as designed by DFLers in the House and the Senate and the governor. This week's joint budget targets, as they were released, showed that with $3 billion in proposed tax relief, the Democrats will spend almost all of the $18 billion surplus. This week, the jobs report from Minnesota says that we are back to pre-COVID private sector job numbers. But on the other hand, we have a less than confident financial system. We have more rising interest rates. We have a labor shortage. And so the one thing that I think is important for us to look at is how are we going to find the future labor force? And one future labor force that came out this week from the right-leaning conservative American Center for the, Center for the American Experiment was that in Governor Walz's budget, there's over 2,300 new state employees proposed. In new departments like paid family medical leave administration, like cannabis and marijuana legalization, but just new hires across the spectrum, including the governor's own office. Look, I'm not one to say that government should skimp on labor or skimp on talent. In fact, we should pay competitive wages to make sure that government has the best and the brightest. But what I do say is this sets up the state to compete with the private sector when we already have a labor shortage. What we don't see in the budget, what we don't see in the vision is a more modernized state government. What can we automate? What can we make more efficient? And what can we Amazonize or make an app? Is it driver's license registration? Is it permitting? Is it fishing licenses? What is it? And how can we do it? That's the real question in this budget is how are we prepping for the future of government being more efficient and effective in providing services to the citizens. Maybe there's something in there, but we haven't talked about it. And one of the things that we know about session is that if we don't talk about it, we don't know about it. So we would hope that technology and the use of technology and modernizing would give an idea for investment. Because after all, we know we're going to be challenged for labor for quite some time. And government competing with the state and employers across the state is going to be a challenge.
I'm Blaise Olson. That's this week's Sunday Take. Follow me all week at fluence-newsletters.com. Sign up for our newsletters there. Look for Morning Take on Facebook and Twitter. And I'll be with Vanita at 620 on Monday morning. Until next week, have a great take. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.